Previously on Law and Order SVU. Whoops, wrong promo. On today's episode of Mental Health Comedy with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari, our special guest is Howie Mandel. It looks Hello. like Ed is working a drive-through at the same time as he's doing this. Uh... <laughs> well, that's true. I actually hold on, lady. Is this today. a new a new system that you just put on for today? Because this system it hasn't been the same since Radio Shack closed. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody alive in the human race that at some point in their life is not going to need a coping skill. You don't have to have OCD. You just have to be human. Welcome, everybody, to Mental Health Comedy with Jennifer Kalari and Ed Krasnick. I'm not well, but that's okay, because I'm learning about that. Sometimes I am well. Sometimes everything's all right. But I do the show. It's partially for selfish reasons, partially because I want to I wanna learn how to relate to my thoughts and feelings. I want to make better choices. I want to make choices, period. I'd like to live happy and well. I'd like to help other people do the same. I'd like to get my hair back, and I'll hold on that. What is the show? Well, Jennifer and I do this show. We do it because it's about practicing mental health skills. Mental health is a huge topic in the world, but it is not yet a practice. You'll know when it's a practice because things are going to change big time. You will know when it's a practice. All kinds of life issues, all kinds of horrific things that we have in this world, it starts inside. It's an inside job. You can't hate someone else unless you hate yourself internally. We hate our thoughts, we hate our feelings, we think there's something wrong with us, we're not conscious of what we do to ourselves. Inside, it's an inside world. If we had skills that we could practice, very simple ones, that would make a pause between the thought and the reaction or make a pause between what we're thinking, reaching for better thoughts, we talk about imagination, we talk about how imagination can help mental health tremendously. Believing is seeing. We don't say seeing is believing like Neville Goddard. We say believing is seeing. You have to see it and feel it and practice that. On today's show, we're very, very lucky because we're going to have my first boss in LA on the show, and his name is Howie Mandel. Howie was my first boss on a sketch show that we did years ago. My mother used to call the show and Howie loved her. And I have a, a warm spot for Howie Mandel. So he's going to join us. He's going to talk about mental health. He's a huge advocate. We're going to talk about a bunch of things on today's show. We're going to talk about imagination. We're going to talk about bedtime rituals. You know, we say morning, how you wake up and how you go to bed kind of can affect your mental health that you carry into the next day. We do some emotional shout outs. We shout out and welcome people in. Just a few of these, and then I'll tell you who our sponsor is for the day, and then Jennifer and I will talk, and then in a few minutes, we'll be joined by Howie Mandel. Emotional shout-outs. If you're using hand sanitizer on a bagel, welcome. If you're watching Eyes Wide Shut to give you some creative mask ideas, welcome. If you feel relieved that your three steps forward, two steps back approach is good for COVID, welcome. If you caught your therapist not wearing pants during a Zoom call, welcome. If you're auditioning for the newest competition show, America's Got Manic Depression, welcome. If you don't know what to do with all your free time now that you've stopped trying to control everything, welcome. 
If you think the time to take care of yourself is when everything else is done, welcome. If you don't know much about history, but you do know that personal grooming is an afterthought, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, welcome. There's always a place for you right here on Mental Health Comedy. I wanted to tell you a quick sponsor that we have. This is a new sponsor. And you know, I make these up, but some of them are not bad ideas. This one is Therapic. It's a new app called Therapic. A lot of times people don't know how to pick the right therapist or even that they have the right to say no to the wrong therapist. Therapic is a new app that not only matches you to the best help for you, but also has reviews like a Rotten Tomatoes for therapy. Our staff of top therapy critics goes to therapy for you, logging thousands of hours with the best and the worst, coming up with a simple score. It's written like a movie review. For example, if you like action and adventure, you'll love Dr. Weinreb. But her stories are a bit bumpy and her character a bit confusing. Although supportive, her performance is weakest when she says things like, wow, that would really make me feel angry. What about you? Worth an initial talk, Dr. Weinreb, 77%. Yes, there's no need to feel like an alien when it comes to your own emotions. In this space, everyone can hear you scream. <laughs> Therapic, we don't pick on you, we pick for you. Quick shout out to Fast Twitch Media. Fast Twitch Media does all of our editing, putting our podcast together, publishing, strategy. They are amazing. And one man in particular is Dan Tebow. You talk to Dan at Fast Twitch Media for all your podcast needs. I cannot recommend him highly enough. FastTwitchMedia.space. That's where you can find all the information you need. The words fast twitch media dot space. Now I'd like to bring in our friend from the north, Jennifer Kalari, who has just come back from a, a long trip. And Jennifer, I mean, I was thinking about this. How you go to bed, we talk about Neville Goddard and we talk about practicing imagination. And he talks a lot about what you're imagining when you fall asleep. Mm -hmm. What kind of a ritual do you have? And is it something that people should be aware of? And is, is it something that's that important? Because when I tell you mine, you're going to be horrified. <laughs> I actually do think it's really important. Really, because how you fall asleep and how you set the tone for falling asleep will pretty much determine how you wake up. So if you go to bed worrying and ruminating and thinking about everything in your life that's not working, First of all, you're going to have trouble falling asleep because the limbic system, the part of the brain that's concerned with safety, isn't going to let you fall asleep because something could attack you in your sleep. And then you're going to wake up, you're going to open your eyes, and you're going to be right back in that loop that you fell asleep to. So sleep is actually a really important time. I mean, there's lots of reasons why sleep is important. We don't have to go over that. Uh, but it's actually a really important time for a reset, for an emotional reset. It is time once again for the Olympic Games, the Olympic Games. And what this is, is we work on the limbic system. The limbic system is where, in your brain, all of the fight, flight, or freeze reactivity is. And so Jennifer's always got some great tips, some great skills, some great things that we can practice. So welcome to the Olympic Games. So I think nighttime and bedtime is also the point where your brain can get out of control on you, right? Everything is worse at night. It usually is. Here's a few strategies that I sometimes use. I will definitely lie in bed, and if I can feel myself starting to worry, I'll reverse worry. Okay, and that looks like this. I love this pillow. It's really 
very soft and the temperature in the room is perfect. And these sheets are actually pretty soft. And I'm really glad that I have a home that I'm sleeping in and I'm safe and I'm safe from the elements. And, and I'm really glad that my husband is sleeping here beside me. And you know, even though he's snoring, he's alive. He's good. Like I'm glad he's there. And I will literally run through the same exact process when you worry, which is making all these connections right in, in a negative direction. I force my brain to do it in a positive direction. And not just think the thought, but actually feel it. Feel how soft the sheets are. Feel how comfortable the bed is. Feel it if it's a nice temperature in the room. It's not a nice temperature in the room, then think about something else, right? Fo focus on everything in your life that's okay, that's working in this moment in the now and make that a ritual and keep, keep with it. What you'll find is that every night it gets easier and easier and easier. Another fantastic way to fall asleep in a good space is if you can pick a place so maybe it's a childhood home, maybe it's a camping trip you took when you were a kid, maybe it was a favorite aunt's house or your grandparents, any place that you can think of that actually fills you with good memories. If it's a negative place, don't use it. And then literally look down at your feet, watch your feet walking towards, let's say it's at your aunt's house, going up the stairs, feel the railing, feel the doorknob, open the door, walk through every room, open drawers, remember pictures that were on the wall. First of all, you're going to blow your mind at how well you're going to remember things that you'd long forgotten. It gives your brain something to do that's pleasant because searching through this lovely space is actually going to feel good. And before you know it, you're asleep. And you reset your brain so that you're falling asleep with a pleasant, calming memory versus 8,000 worries that kept you up for three hours. Okay, well, now you've got me. First of all, I'm, I'm probably sleep-deprived for the last 25 years. Apart from that, I grew up as a kid not feeling very safe at night. And so what I did is I went to sleep with the TV on. Mm -hmm. And I have gone to sleep with the TV on almost every night of my life to the point where I can tell you what rhythms, what tones are actually, like what movies are best to sleep by. Mm -hmm because of the frequency, like All the President's Men is probably one of the best movies to sleep by. It's a great movie, but tonally, it is very calming. So this is who you're dealing with. You're dealing with somebody who doesn't really rest. Well, you're not alone. Having issues sleeping goes along with having a, a very fast moving brain, right? Having that kind of Ferrari brain that we talk about on other shows. You kind of want to think of that part of your brain. It's like a spoiled child just running around doing whatever it wants. So you give into it. Well, when you give into it, then now you got to have the TV on every night, which is fine. If you, I wouldn't even change that if you enjoy doing that. But I don't know. What if there's a power outage? <laughs> what if you're somewhere and you can't watch TV? It would be nice for it to be a choice, not for it to be something that you have to do. And it's literally the same principle, though. You're just running a movie in your mind. That's all you're doing. And while you're doing it, this is the cool part. You're strengthening, you're building neural pathways that make you better at imagining, right? The more you do this, the better you get, the more you're actually exercising and building neural pathways for that part of the brain to be able to go where you want it to go, go in the direction that you want it to go in. And, and I used to have a really hard time doing this at first. I'd start wandering through my childhood home and then five seconds later, I'd be worrying about something I have to do tomorrow. And I, I've actually noticed that I'm getting better and better and better at pulling my mind back and going where I want it to go, which is a profoundly important skill when we talk about mental health. Now, I've been looking for Neville Goddard exercises because there's words for them. He's got laddering. He's got all these techniques. I don't know what they are. Are there things, concrete things that you can actually, like very simple things where you can actually have a practice? 
where you wake up in the morning and this is what you do, or, or at night, this is what you do, or you take a break in the middle of the day and for a minute, you do this thing. I would start in the morning or, or at night doing the, drop, the tongue drop thing. That's really important. And then file through. I'll tell people what that is. You just relax your tongue in the bottom of your teeth. And as soon as you do that, your stomach will relax. And that sends a signal to the brain that you're not actually in danger. You're not tightening up your core muscles to protect your vital organs. So you're going to do your tongue drop. You're going to change your breathing a little bit. One great thing to do is think of five of your favorite people. And imagine looking in their eyes, like right in their eyes. Feel the, the flood of oxytocin that comes from that. And pick a feature or a quality of that person that you just love. You just love it about them. Then move on to the next person and the next person and the next person. Do five people. Could be a colleague, could be a cousin, could be a long lost grandmother, whoever. Five people. And if you can't think of five, think of two. And then get up and start your day. It's a reset. You're literally recalibrating. But if you open your eyes and you're like, oh God, here we go. I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And I didn't get any sleep last night. And I know this and this and this is gonna go wrong today. And why would today be different? And you're already off on that track. You set the tone for the day. So these are little resets. And by the way, you don't just do it in the morning. Throughout the day, go, you know what? I don't like how I'm feeling right now. I'm at a seven out of 10 and I don't know what I'm doing here. So sit at your desk, put some music in your ears and think of your five people again or wander through that cottage or that camp or whatever gives you a good memory. The best thing to remember here is that your limbic system can't tell the difference. It has no idea if you're there or not there. It thinks you're there. It's a fantastic tool when you think about it. And all of these skills are building neural pathways that give you the ability to control where your mind goes, what you think about, and to be able to stop yourself from thinking in a certain direction. And that's what we're building here. So not only does it help reset the day, but as you do this every day as a practice, which Ed, you talk about all the time, it's like going to the gym for your brain. And then when you are actually worried about something that's very upsetting and real, you have the skills to be able to change the direction of your brain in mid-thought. And that is possible. That's fantastic. And I, I want to shout out to a guy that I've watched. He calls himself Prince EA. He's sort of a, a positive thinker, positive speaker. I think he's a fitness trainer. I think he also does music. The guy is amazing. At any rate, he had something very simple. And it was on the, basically on that same principle, Jennifer. And it was when you wake up in the morning, you close your eyes, you calm your breathing, and you think of a person that you love, and you look at them, and you smile, mm -hmm. and you imagine them smiling back. And this kind of thing is like, wow. And you know what you're doing there biochemically? Your mouth cannot smile without the biochemical system behind it which is a flood of oxytocin. And oxytocin is a hormone slash neurotransmitter that actually blocks cortisol. It's medicine. You could literally put a pencil in your mouth, which mimics and forces the muscle movement of a smile. That might be a whole new product that we're gonna have to come out with. It's a pencil that tastes good, that, that actually you can stick in your mouth. So think of those skills. We always talk about things that you can practice, emotional fitness. There will be a, an emotional gym here uh, someday, 24-hour emotional fitness gym. We'll have videos. We'll have things. I want to welcome our guest. I want to tell you that you're listening to Mental Health Comedy with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari. And right now, joining us from beautiful Los Angeles, on the Mount Rushmore of comedy, 
a judge on America's Got Talent, which you watch, and it's interesting to see how he is on that show. I've known him for many years, his wife for many years. Howie Mandel, are you, uh, are you in the house? There he is, Howie. Hey, buddy. Hi. How you doing, man? I don't know, how are you? Not well. First of all, let me comment on those glasses. What's the origin and uh, who are you wearing? My glasses? Yeah. Um, I'm wearing me. Not familiar, yeah, go ahead. Well, th th you wouldn't be because they're new and it is, it's a line uh, called Howie. It really is, I wasn't making a joke. This is my own line of glasses and they're available through C, S-E-E, -E, but they're my <laughs> Astro Howie. It looks oh, like Ed is working a drive-through at the same time as he's doing this. Uh, <laughs> well, that's true. I actually hold on, lady. Is this a new a new system that you just put on for today? Because this system, it hasn't been the same since Radio Shack closed. <laughs> I don't know why I got this. Do you do that oh, electronically, great, great. or is this something you? Because I, I do that too, but that's from being married for forty years. My wife is talking <laughs> Terry trained you well. She trained you yeah, well. Don't worry, I'm going to mute myself. You just go about your life. <laughs> See, what a great technique that is for a successful marriage. You know, Howie, I have to say, first of all, thank you for, for doing this. And secondly, you talk a lot about mental health. I know that you have things that you do that you're very conscious about taking care of your own mental health. And I guess I want to ask, I don't know if you've ever shared this or if you're okay sharing it, but what works for you? Are there things that actually, that you do that actually work for you? And how do you approach that? Because people listen. Well, you know, I'm always uh, a little bit trepidatious about talking about work, what works for me. And I'll tell you something. Listen, I am, uh, my soapbox is mental health. You know, I'm uh, fascinated how, uh, at how much in myself perpetuated this for many decades, how much of a stigma mental health is. And I believe that mental health trumps physical health, you know, has power over its mind over matter. I've been very open about, you know, I, I suffer from anxiety, depression, OCD. I have got like everything, but I don't think that there's a human alive that doesn't, or a human that doesn't have issues. Being able to cope with those issues and learning life skills and coping skills are what we all need. And what happens is when I talk about you know, being a, a germaphobe or having OCD, a germaphobe is, is not an issue. A germaphobe is just one of my little side effects of my, uh, my OCD. But the truth of the matter is that I'm a proponent of kind of acknowledging that you need help and you need to do something for yourself. And what works for me may not work for you. And, you know, I'm medicated. I won't talk about specifically what medications I'm on, but along with medication, I exercise and I don't exercise to stay in shape physically. I exercise to try to stay in shape mentally. I think the biggest thing that I will share is uh, distraction. My biggest distraction usually falls in the way of comedy. It was not considered comedy when I was in, in school. I wasn't able to finish school. I guess they got distracted and didn't finish my education. Distraction has been the biggest thing. And I, and I believe that ultimately, aside from medications, everything we do is somewhat of a distraction for our mental health. And whether that's meditating or breathing or, you know, going and playing a game or distracting yourself with, you know, something outside in conversations. I think the biggest issue and the biggest panacea for me is the ability to talk about it and not be embarrassed about it. 
And I say to everybody, if anything is getting you and, and kind of inhibiting you from moving along, you really have to talk. You really have to just speak to somebody. You've got to talk to, and whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member. And, and I'll tell you something I, I've found now as being a proponent for this, and Ed, I don't know if you know in Canada, I work with uh, Bell Media. They do a campaign that's called Let's, Let's Talk. And the reason I joined it is because I believe that that's what we need to do. And it's great that you're doing this. And that's what you do with a therapist. And that's what you, you know, ultimately it always starts with talking. And I think that talking will not only help you, but it helps other people around kind of remove the stigma. The more we talk about it, you know, we talk about our dental health. And we go check our dental health, regardless of having a pain or anything. You go, look, mom, no cavities, nothing's wrong. You went and got checked. But we don't take care of our mental health the way we take. And it's not even part of, of our, our curriculum from the time we're, we're young. You know, people aren't there for us at the minute we start school at five years old. There's nobody really in place to ask questions, to look at, you know, if there's any flags that go up. But we all go through shit in life that we need help for, you know. And whether that is, you know, maintaining a relationship coping skill with having to get along not only with yourself but others maybe cohabitate being a parent is a huge pressure being diagnosed with something or having a loved one you know have a critical illness how do you cope with that and still be a productive member of society and we're, we're supposed to just go to work and do our job but maybe a loved one is dying at home how do we deal with a pandemic you know this is a world pandemic where we're all you need to talk about it you need to do it maybe you don't need to be medicated maybe you just need to find out that there's other people feeling exactly like you feel maybe that will be your lifesaver but everything in life needs you know we're not really trained for you know life and yes. it throws shit at us and everybody just kind of you know it's funny if you had a bad back if you're at work and you had a bad back everybody they say well you know i want to move my desk over here and they go i can't help you i got a bad back and then you're inundated with you know two dozen cards from everybody's chiropractor but if you if somebody said we need to get this project done and you said right now i can't I, i'm being honest with you i just can't i can't do it i know i i am just uh, so down and i can't function and uh i just need a moment or i need to take off and i need to go to see a psychiatrist that would probably not be taken as lightly as you know i got to go to my dentist or i got to go do something well, else you know one of the things that we talk about on the show and we're trying to get, to get to here is mental health is a big topic but it is not a practice and people talk about it but nobody realizes that you actually have to do something and make choices about your thoughts and feelings. That's one way to take care of mental health. You talk about distraction, and I'm wondering what goes on in your head where you say to yourself, I need to distract now, or I know that this is a time for distraction, or do you even look at it like that? I have such fear of falling into the wormhole that whatever I've been diagnosed with causes, that I'm constantly distracting even when I feel good so because I have fear of falling into that wormhole. You know, for me personally, you know, I have OCD and people will come up to me constantly and go, you know, I got a little bit of that too. Well, you don't have a little bit of that. If somebody has cancer, somebody doesn't come up to you, you know, I got a touch of the cancer thing too, you know, so I know what you're going through. You know, the, the thing is, OCD is a really specifically diagnosable maybe a chemical, I, I don't know that they know specifically that there are experiments that say it's, you know, phys much more physiological than other people. I, I think it is. 
but you know, to explain it to maybe a listener from a, a guy who suffers it, you know, people know that I don't shake hands because I'm a, a germaphobe. And the, the truth of the matter is, I probably can shake your hand. And when we worked together, I was shaking hands when we were on, yes. on yes. the show. Uh, but yes. what happens is, just like anybody else, if you shake somebody's hand and their hand is kind of clammy or icky, or you, you know, if somebody walked across the room and you saw them sneeze and they covered their mouth and they did, you would think, yuck. You know, and you extend your hand, then you could probably go and, and wash your hand. And so would I. But I'd go, oh, my God, that was terrible. And, and I'd go wash my hand, and I'd, I'd wash my hand, and then I'd turn off the water and walk out of the bathroom. And then I'd go, no, nah, that was a, I probably should have used hot water. I probably didn't get it all. I'd go back in, and i do scalding water and wash it again, and then turn off the sink and go out. And I'd go, you know what, I should have, I probably didn't get it all. And then i go back in, and then, and then i wash again. And I'm literally stuck in a loop and sometimes if I get caught in that I've been known and whether it was a ritual I had to do or washing my hands or checking a door I promise you Ed I've been stuck three four hours and intellectually I know you know this is crazy I checked the door I checked the door I checked the door how many times do I have to check? and I can't pull myself away from it and I miss a meeting and my life just stops now i don't have any different thought than anybody else maybe i should check the door maybe i didn't lock it i better wash my hands because maybe i didn't get it clean if i'm triggered then i just continue and that can continue that doesn't even have to be an action that can that could be a a crazy dark thought that goes through my head and that, that just keeps repeating it's like a a skipping record that i can't stop i just try to stay really distracted so i don't get caught in any of that stuff do you know when you're triggered? Do you say, oh, here's the trigger now. Here it comes. No, I can only tell you, I can only tell you I have been triggered. I can't tell okay. you. I have a fear of, you know, for me, it's like when somebody extends their hand, I go, that could be a trigger. I probably could shake 200 hands before I would be triggered, but I don't know when that is. So the fear is that I just, so I don't shake anybody's hand. But now we live in a time where literally you have these thoughts about it and now it's happening. So now not we have really, not really, because the truth is this is real and this yeah. is a pandemic and you can really get sick. My thoughts, you know, the, the, the biggest conflict that I have internally is when it makes no sense. And I understand intellectually that it makes no sense, yet I can't stop myself from, I could say it makes no sense, but I'm so bothered by it. I've had the family, we've been going on vacation and we've been late for a flight. We've been in a car and my daughter crossed her legs and the bottom of her shoe hit my pants. I made them turn the car around and I had to go home and change my pants and we had to miss a flight. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. There's no, and I knew it and I knew it, but I couldn't stop myself. And this is before I, I you know, it got to a point in, in my life where, you know, I got saved by my wife who said, you know, I can't take this anymore. You know, and as my therapist and psychiatrist told me, you know, you have to live in their world. You have to figure out how to live in, in the world. Nobody has to change the world so that it's comfortable for you. The only thing you can control is yourself and your try to control your mind. You know, that's the only, you can't control other people. And if you spend your life trying to cr control other, you're just gonna, it just doesn't work. Okay, so my fellow Canadian on the show, now Jennifer works a lot with rewiring the brain, brain hacks, also therapy, kids, family, everybody. 
we talk a lot on the show about different things that you can do. That's one of the things that I love so much about her is that she talks about things to do. Jennifer, when you're listening to Howie talk, what's going through your mind? Howie's so right. When people come up and they, oh, I have OCD. And people do that all the time. I have OCD because I like things being tidy. There's a difference between having an obsessive personality, which is I can stand it if the picture's crooked. It's not going to ruin my day. I'm not going to be stuck in a two-hour loop over it. It'll bug me, but I can walk away from it. And it being what's called egodystonic, and that's what Howie's describing. It's like half of him is going, this is ridiculous. I want to be free from this. I'm exhausted. And his brain is still telling him to do it. And that's the piece that's, that's really hard. It can take different forms and then you can be obsessed about one thing and then it shifts to something else. That's why you can never know exactly what works at a given time. The hardest part about this is, is the loop that the brain gets in. And your anxiety, when it's doing this to you, it loves you. This is the part that's so weird. Like it thinks it's saving you. Telling somebody, stop washing your hands, it's enough, is like being in a movie theater and it's on fire and somebody's holding the door shut and you can't get out and the security guard going, just breathe. You'll be fine. It's okay. You're just take, do some deep breathing, picture yourself on a beach. Like, are you kidding me? I'm in a burning building. That's the part that's really hard. I get that's what Howie's done such a good job at describing. There's so many people who deal with this. So when I work with kids that have this, there'll be a few strategies that I'll teach them, but the biggest one is learning to stop one when it starts, right? So before it becomes an ingrained uh, ritual, that's when you have the best chance to disturb it, to uh, you know avoid it, to distract yourself and move on. But it, it's tough and it's, it's painful to be a parent of a child that's struggling with this. And I think it, it's a form of anxiety, which we talk about all the time. And you know, usually people who are really creative and how you're certainly very creative. You've got, a, you've got an incredible mind and your mind will work for you in, in magnificent ways, but it'll work against you in enormous ways, right? It casts it an equal and opposite shadow. She's right. But the thing is, like even on this show, if you're just talking about OCD, OCD is, uh, you know, I don't know what the stats are, but how many people have it. But I ended up becoming an advocate for just speaking of, I don't think there's anybody alive in the human race that at some point in their life is not going to need a coping skill. You don't have to have OCD. You just have to be human. And you know, whether it's the breakup of a relationship, whether it's like in, in these times right now, the strife that people are dealing with in their mind, how do you cope with this? But I'm yeah. using the tools that I use for coping with my OCD. I find that some of those same tools work for this. You know, I don't yeah. think anybody in the world is waking up each and every day feeling incredibly productive and cheerful. No, I, you know what the, the thing too is that anxiety itself gets a really bad rap. Everyone talks about anxiety being this terrible, bad thing. It's, it's essential anxiety. If you don't have anxiety, you're going to walk across the street and go, oh, the cars are going to wait. You have to have a certain amount of anxiety to be normal and to function and to feel good, right? It's a very important emotion. But one of the things we've done in our culture, and I think our culture is really bad at this, is we raise our children. We, we all sort of approach it the same way, that emotions are bad. Anxiety is bad. Sadness is bad. Everything's bad. So don't feel it. And the more you ignore an emotion, there's a built-in response for it to come back louder, harder, stronger. If you're standing in front of a tiger that's going to jump on you, your brain does not want you to look somewhere else. It wants you to stare at the tiger because it could jump on you. 
if you pretend that something's not afraid, if you distract yourself to the point where you don't think about it, your anxiety will keep knocking on the door and it knocks harder and it knocks louder. And so we have a whole generation and there's lots of reasons to be anxious right now with what's going on in the world. But Tommy's right. We don't teach kids how to manage anxiety, how to recognize it. When I work with kids, I tell them that anxiety is like a big dog. It's like this lovely dog that just loves you and it wants to keep you safe. Because when we talk about getting rid of anxiety, people panic. And the anxiety goes, are you crazy? You can't get rid of me. If you get rid of me, you're going to die. If you get rid of me, things are going to go a lot worse. Don't use those strategies. Don't do anything that's going to get rid of me. So I teach kids the dog. We love the dog. We want to train the dog. We want the dog to sit in his dog bed, let you have a nice life, and then come out when you need it, not when you don't need it. And that's the loop sometimes with OCD for sure is that it just keeps trying to save you over and over and over and over again. And it's exhausting. Right. And you know, you guys are talking about like mental health, but the word mental, even mental, you know, illness, there's a stigma, uh, just the word mental. Physical illness is not, is not an issue. You say to somebody, I got the flu, you know, or I, I got to stay home for three days. But if you say I'm just mentally ill right now, I'm just not feeling well mentally. That stigma that attaches itself, and it's all, I think, for the most part, really manageable if you're willing to do what it takes to manage it. And it's not that easy, and it's not that easy to find where the management is. As I said, talk to somebody. You talk to somebody who may give you the reason why it is a stigma, who may look at you a little like you're loony, you know, because they don't believe in that and they just oh you know it's kind of like people who are afraid of flying just don't think about it don't think about it i'm up here at thirty-five thousand feet that's like being in the in the burning in the burning theater she just brought up but they don't really understand you just got to keep mentioning it to enough people who do understand it's kind of like how i work in in life i always tell people people are very quick to point out problems you know why we can't do that this is going to happen well, I always say, well, I don't want to hear. So if you're going to come to me with why we can't do it because this is going to happen, don't tell me that. Just tell me what you're going to do and how you're going to make it happen. And that's a great kind of template that I use in life. You know, things are tough and things are hard, but you can fix it or you can cope with it. I don't always know the answers, but I'll keep throwing that lifesaver out there until somebody grabs onto it that can give me an answer. That's probably one of the best strategies anyone could use. Why do you spend all your mental energy thinking about what you don't want? Thinking about what's wrong or what isn't going to work. Just take that energy, think about it a little bit, because you have to, and then take that energy and focus on what is working, what feels good, right? And it sounds Well, like I always say that, you know, thinking is not good. I, I believe that we are, and when people even talk about success and productivity, the truth of the matter is that I think us as a species, we have amazing instinct. If we act like some of us do, but very few do, on instinct, we will probably be better off. And, and how many people go through life when they go, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, why didn't I, how stupid was that? My thought is, and it happened to be a, a result of some of the things that I've been diagnosed with is, I don't think of ramifications, so I just jump at things, which can be, and it's caused me some issues, but it's also gotten me more, it's done more for me positively than negatively. But I, I always think that if you just do it, if you just live, if you just jump, even if it's to therapy, you just do it, just go do it. Just don't think about it because you can always talk yourself out of not doing it. There's a million reasons why. And if you want to just take it as even my career as a, 
a young guy growing up in the in in your town. I didn't know anybody in show business. I was engaged to be married. Why would you think that you're going to go make a living? You're going to move three thousand miles away to a place where you don't know anybody and have no connections and try to provide for a family and grow and have success by putting a rubber glove on your head. For those that don't know, that's how that was my I first. I remember day. seeing you in Yorkville with yeah. a glove on your head. And it's yeah, so that's, but it was ridiculous when you think about it. If I would have thought about it, but to that end, and I'm not talking about my career, I always feel like the worst moments of my life is when I let my mind kind of wander on its own. So I I just got to just do it. And the activity of doing it and moving forward with my life is my distraction from where my mind, if it sits still, goes. And now more than ever, with this pandemic going on, is forcing people to be a little more still than they would normally be. So more people are in touch in a kind of in a bad way with their mental health fragility because they were so distracted by going to an office every day and working every day and picking the kids up and going to soccer games and doing that. And now when you sit at home, you're going, oh yeah, this is, I'm getting into a depression. And But it's really a byproduct of not doing, that's where your mind goes if you let it go. Everybody will go into a dark place. It's just human nature. And it's acknowledging, it's being conscious about what's going on. If you can be aware, if you can say to yourself, I'm thinking a lot right now. Oh, I noticed that that thought came in, or I noticed this, or I noticed that. If you can say what's going on, then all of a sudden, it gives you a little bit of pause so that you don't get attacked by the train, the bullet train. And so one of the things I remember about you, Howie, is you were telling me this story about one of your first specials that you taped, and something happened, and you had a choice to make. And the choice was to acknowledge something or not acknowledge it. So can yeah. you mention that? Because I think it's a great story. It, it is about not thinking in the moment. Part of the neurosis of being a comedian, and I've spoken to other comedians about it, including Ed, myself, you know, I was doing, uh, if, if, and this goes for everybody, if you're doing a show and, uh, you know, seven to 10,000 people are roaring and laughing, but there's one guy up front who's not making any eye contact, and not smiling, it becomes your whole mind. As every comic does that, like, what the hell is wrong with this one guy? It's not good enough that 6,999 people are just loving you, but if you could focus on the one negative, the one guy, and what happened is I ended up in the moment, and this is how I think, in the moment without any thought, saying, why the hell is this guy not, he's not even looking at me, he doesn't seem to be paying attention to me, And the woman sitting next to him goes, he's blind. He was in the front row. He's blind. And I went, he's blind. And then, you you know, I had stopped the whole show and you could feel like a collective, 7,000 people, a collective gasp of, oh, shit. He just dug himself, you know, a very dark hole. Had I thought about this, I probably wouldn't say it. But because I didn't think about it, I just went, why the fuck would you spend money to buy a blind man a front row ticket when you know you probably could have saved 30 bucks put him in the balcony and lied to him and told him he was in the front row i had lost the audience for a second when i said he's blind because i went what the fuck is this he's not even looking at me when i did that line without thinking i won them back you know but the truth is maybe that is a good template for 
had I really thought, I probably wouldn't have done that line. I probably wouldn't have done that. But that became the highlight. It could have, could have gone the other way too, <laughs> you know? It could have gone very bad. But most things in my life have been that knee-jerk reaction to go, you wanna get on stage? You know, it was a dare. I got on stage at Yuck Yucks. I didn't show up there to be a comedian. And then when I did that, I had a place to go. And, it was, and then somebody said, when I was in Los Angeles, you wanna try to get on stage? I wasn't here for comedy you want to get on stage at the comedy store? And I got on stage at the comedy store and there happened to be a, a producer there from a comedy game show who said, do you want to be on? And I did that comedy game show and I flew back to Toronto. And then I started getting calls from Mike Douglas and Merv Griffin. And, you know, I've noticed that, and this was before I was open about whatever issues, you know, I, I had a, a, in my own mind, a rough childhood. I have a very loving, supportive family. It was wonderful. But growing up in the 60s, when you have these mental health issues, you know, you don't talk to your mom about it and everybody was just accepting of it and I don't have a GED and I went to three different high schools and didn't finish any of them. That was kind of a sore spot for me because I didn't have the ability to sit. I can't sit for any length of time and focus. If somebody had diagnosed me, if they had let me just, just the ability to stand up in the class or maybe just pace the back of the class, I could have stayed in school and probably excelled. It's how I take things in. And I also take things in audibly rather than visually. So reading was a little harder for me than listening to something and comprehending. What I learned is we're all different. One size doesn't fit all in life. That's why I say that whatever you, it takes for you to, as Ed kind of pointed out, acknowledge that there is an issue. That's first and foremost with any issue that anybody has. Acknowledge you're, you're a human being and you may need help, and you may need some coping skills. And those coping skills could be as little as, I get mad really easily, you know, I have a, a sharp temper. Here's what's gonna happen. I'm not gonna, from now on, I'm not gonna respond when I'm angry. I'm always gonna wait. I'm gonna count to 10. I'm just gonna breathe. Maybe that helps, that, that's not, you know, I'm not advocating for that, but that can be a tool. Sure. And the thing sure. is that you always have to look for a tool. You know, if you wanna fix something, you walk into a garage, and you don't know what you have. Maybe I could do it with a yeah. screwdriver. You know what, I don't have a screwdriver. Maybe I can use the, the knife in the drawer. And, the, and that, oh, you know what, I just have, maybe I'll unscrew it with a quarter. I'll do it like that. You know, you just look for whatever tool you're gonna need you to need get whatever you box. need done. Right, you need a toolbox. You can't go in with one tool. But you wanna have a number of different strategies. And the crazy part is anxiety itself is a bit of a beast. It's this hungry emotion that likes to be fed. And when you give into it, it gets stronger. It takes territory from you. So the more you give into it, the more it comes back and it gets you. And it, sometimes the anxiety will be like, oh, I know what you're doing. You're using that strategy again. Forget it. I don't like that strategy anymore. And it'll come back so hard on you that that strategy doesn't work anymore. So then you have a few other ones. So there's a couple of things I think that are really important. And it, it comes down to parenting a little bit. It comes down to helping kids. Right. We raise our children to avoid and be afraid of their emotions. And as parents, we're afraid of our children's emotions. Oh, he's crying, buy him something. Oh, he's upset and calling his teacher. Oh, he didn't get invited to that. I mean, we'll have your own party with your cousins. There's a lot of like fixing and solving and part of staying with your emotions is actually really important because they're just trying to tell you something, they're information. And if you ignore them, they're gonna keep coming. And if you have a mind like yours, Howie, and there's so many people that are like this, the school system is also not one size fits all. For a lot of kids, sitting in school and listening to something and not being emotionally connected to what you're listening to and uh, you know, bored out of your mind, you were probably thinking of all kinds of things and you probably have the kind of brain that just breaks things down and fractalizes and 
it's gone in five minutes and you're like, what happened to the time? And you've already thought about 15 other things. And there's lots of teachers who love kids and who do their best for students like that. But school is a nightmare for a lot of kids, an absolute nightmare. They're in there every day feeling stupid and feeling like they can't do what they need to do and they can't come home and prove to their parents that they've understood. Meanwhile, well, I, I, I've always said our problems in the world, the, the two solves to every world problem, and I'm talking about economy, I'm talking about racism, I'm talking about productivity. The two are mental health and education. Yep. I think if we had a good standard of education and mental health was part of our curriculum, everything would be solved. And I absolutely co-parenting into, right? Because we're mm -hmm. raising the kids who need to really literally save us all. No joke. Well, you're parenting kids, but you're parenting yourself. So those same skills work on you. And if you're not able to do it for yourself, chances are you're not going to be great at doing it for your kid. You know, you have to be able to do these things. And it doesn't matter. Kids are looking at how you're being. They're not looking at what you're doing. They're looking at how you're being. It's interesting how you said a minute ago that you get angry sometimes. And people don't realize it. Here's a crazy little trick. So you can only be angry for 90 seconds. That's it. That's how long the brain allows you to be angry for. That's just enough time to get away from whatever it is. After 90 seconds, you recontract, right? So somebody makes you mad, you get really angry. After the 90 second mark, you're, you relive it. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe you just said that to me. I can't believe. And you, now you talk yourself into another 90 seconds. So every 90 seconds, you have an opportunity to breathe and do something else, to walk away, to think about something else. The thing that I want everyone to, to know, and, and that's why pa parenting is my big passion as well, is that you are the thinker of your thoughts. They can get out of control, absolutely. It can seem like an impossible task, but it's like a car that you're driving. You have to keep that car on the road. And I teach kids that I work with, that you're, you, and how you have a brain like this. I, I say it's a Ferrari brain. It's fantastic. It goes really fast. It's a sensitive instrument. But if you don't know how to drive it, it you're going to go in the ditch and the minivans are going to pass you. When you have a brain that has such capability and such potential, it also has a shadow of that potential, which means it can eat you alive. It can drive you absolutely crazy. But learning how to keep that car on the road, and that starts with, with teaching your children and yourself, right? And loving yourself and forgiving yourself. What do you think about and what you obsess about and repeat over and over in your head? That person's mad at me. I, I walk into a kitchen. Oh, of course, they didn't close the cupboards and I'm the only one that does anything. That ranting creates your reality. It really does. So we talk about mental health, we talk about physical health, but what you think about, what thoughts you're actually allowing yourself to dwell on is where your power is. And oh, it, yeah, I so, totally believe in that. Yeah. In, in good and bad. Yes, absolutely. You know, in, in, yeah. in positive too. I think at this point in my life, I'm 65 years old, and I believe everyone, wherever they are in life, is exactly where they put themselves. They'll tell you, you know, I shoulda, I coulda, or he didn't, they didn't do this for me, or she didn't do this for me. I believe that everybody, whatever they've achieved, um, from uh, uh, relationships, from business, from success, from money, that we all have the power to do whatever it is we need to do. Yeah, and whatever that looks like, right? But it, and it's always context. Our brain gives the context. You can be a victim, for me, this is terrible, or you can be a student. What can I learn? How can I be better? What did I learn from that? That's where your power is. So you're right. But you're talking about reaching for better thought. You know, we talk about that sometimes, Jennifer, and, and that people actually 
would know or would have some kind of education that you can actually reach for other thoughts. You can reach for better thoughts. You can reach for a higher thought. It doesn't mean denying what you're feeling. It doesn't mean living in a denial world. But you have choices about what you think and how you relate to your feelings and thoughts. When I was little, if somebody had taught me that feelings don't make you bad, if I heard that sentence, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I swear to God, I would be a completely different person. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, and how you gave such a good example about people like in the office or in some situation, if they're struggling, if it was physical, they're good about it. If they're not physical, they're not. But if your kid was walking down the street and fell and cut their leg and their leg is bleeding, you would not say to the kid, well, you have another leg. You know, your other leg's fine. Just think of it. Like you wouldn't do that. But we do it all the time with emotional stuff, all the time. And we do it for ourselves. We live in a psychotically adolescent world. Right. Um, and if one good thing has come out of this virus, it's that maybe people are actually thinking a little bit and thinking about the world and what's really important and reevaluating. And distraction is a good strategy, but not to the point where we're not good humans anymore and we're not happy anymore. Right. So if we have time to worry and stress, then we have time to do the stuff that we can do however long it takes to feel better. And that's what I want people to know. It's simple. It's not very complex. These are not very big things. How we talked about counting when you're angry. They're actually very simple things to do. But you have to say to yourself, I'm going to do this now, even if it's I'm going to take a breath. Jennifer, you teach kids things that they can do even to rewire their brain, mm -hmm. which is still developing. Is there anything that you wanted to share now about something that, like when we talk about loops, brain mm -hmm. loops, is there anything that anybody can do about those things? Okay, here's the hard part and how we put this so well. When you're stuck in the loop, it's really a difficult thing. It is really hard because your brain thinks it's saving your life. So walking away from that means you could die. I mean, literally, that's what your limbic system is telling you. That, that's the fight or fight flight part of the brain. So let's say we're talking about having a, a ritual or your phone is dirty and you got to clean it a hundred times, whatever the symptom is. If you can try to interrupt the symptom, even just for a second, and count, look away, look at something attractive in, around the room. Think of one good thought before you go back and clean the phone or wash your hands or whatever it is. And over time, you'll start to build a little bit of some neuropathways that help you. It's a tough one. It's not easy. It's really hard. So interruption is a really, really good one. For my kids that really struggle, I'll have them do this all in their head. Don't even do it in real life. Imagine that you need to wash your hands and now imagine yourself not washing your hands and being like, oh, that's weird. I'm actually feeling pretty okay about that. So actually rehearsing it in your imagination first when it's not so real and it's not so intense. And sometimes you can just spend a long time doing that, weeks, months, even doing that. And then it'll start to transfer sometimes over into real life. But also sometimes people have their rituals, they know what works. Also don't feel like you have to do anything. Like if you've got, a lot of people that have OCD have their way of managing it and it works and it's fine. It's also whatever works for you. That's really important. Okay. Well, Howie, and first of all, thanks for spending this time with us. My pleasure. I really can't thank you enough. Thanks to Howie Mandel. Thanks to Jennifer Polari, as always. Next week, a brand new show. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week.